Good morning. A few weeks ago, the youth group, along with uh, some of our uh, some of our college students and some of our parents, uh, we did something a little bit different. We uh, had an event that we called Secret Church. And uh, it's never anything that I've, I've done before, never anything we've done before here. Um, actually got the idea from the church that I went to uh, growing up. They started this a couple uh, years ago. But the event is called Secret Church, and what the idea is, or what took place here, is uh, we had a lot of our teens meet over at, at my house uh, across the street. And uh, we, we all met there, and I had several of our, our college age and our adults uh, over here at the church building. And uh, the, the concept or the idea is that our, our teens had to find the secret church. Our teens had to find where the church service was going to be taking place, uh, where we were going to, to meet and study. And... It was somewhere in an undisclosed location within the church building, and they had to, had to find where that was. And it was a little bit more difficult for them because we also had our, our college, some of our college students and adults uh, over here patrolling the building and outside of the building and around the building as our guards. And so what had to take place is, of course, uh, the, uh, the teams had to find the entrance to get in to the building and had to then go through the building undetected and find where they were supposed to meet for uh, this secret church. And so uh, it ended up taking quite a while for, for it to finally uh, end up being, being found. But once everyone found a the location, then, uh, then we all came together, everyone that was there for, for that event. And uh, we had a time of, of study. Uh, we spent uh, a couple hours, actually, uh, going through and looking at the book of First Peter. Now, why exactly did we do that? Before I tell you that, uh, I do want to go ahead and say this. Uh, we plan to do this same event again next year. And though it was kind of directed toward our teens, uh, I would love for uh, as many of our church to, to be a part of that as possible. Uh, I, I personally uh, got a lot from this experience and I hope that our teens and our, uh, all of those that attended did as well. But the reason that we did this, the reason that we uh, had what, what you may kind of perceive as a game that became a, a devotional, uh, the reason we did this is because of the persecuted church. Because I wanted everyone to be able to, to see or at least get an, a hint or an idea of what it's like to be a part of the persecuted church. What it's like to be a part of a church that uh, does not meet the way that we do right here. Uh, they don't have times available that are out on the board outside. Uh, it's, it's not as easy as driving up, walking in, saying hi, sitting down, and, and that being the extent of it. There is a. There are many churches all around the world that don't have it the same way 
that we do. And so that's what we're discussing this morning, the persecuted church. I want to share a couple different stories with you this morning. Of a couple different people that are a part of the church throughout the world uh, and those that are facing this persecution. Now, there's a 27-year-old man uh, named Michael who was a, a husband and a father of two, and, and he's a missionary uh, that's been living in eastern Uganda. And on his way to a business meeting uh, that he was attending, on his way to a business meeting, uh, he was ambushed uh, by a group of ten from the Islamic community uh, who then proceeded to violently attack him uh, where he, and he ended up sustaining some serious injuries, including lacerations on his head and hands. Uh, after they beat and kicked him, the mob then ran away, and some bystanders took the unconscious man to a nearby clinic. It took him a while to be able to recover and, and be back to his full health, um, but shortly after, he, he resumed his ministry and he uh, went back to, uh, to working the business that he began in order to take care of his family. Uh, but as soon as he uh, was back to his health, he, he continued doing what he had been doing. He continued to, uh, to reach out and, and uh, uh, go to others and share the gospel with those in Uganda. Now, Uganda is a place where the government technically allows freedom of religion, but a majority of their citizens uh, do not tolerate any religion outside of Islam, and uh, they make sure to, uh, to uh, pay consequences to those that, that do not practice Islam, don't practice uh, anything else. There's another man that I want to tell you about named Begus. Uh, we talked about Begus during uh, our time in, at Secret Church. Uh, Begus lives in Indonesia, and he heard about, uh, he heard about the Word of God, he heard about the Gospel in 2014, and he studied, and he was baptized that following year. Uh, he told, uh, he told the, the person that was interviewing him that he lived a long, troubled life, because his job in Indonesia was a, a trash picker. That's what he did. Uh, but after he decided to follow Christ, he said that his life was not troubled anymore, uh, that those troubles had completely gone away. He was still a trash picker. He still had the same job, still lived uh, in the same location. Uh, but after he decided to follow Jesus, he felt happy. And Vegas had become the host of a house church of uh, 15 different people. All of these people were formerly part of, uh, they were formerly Muslim. Uh, and they had all converted and uh, were now part of the Lord's church. And so they were uh, regularly meeting uh, at Vegas' house for this church. And villagers had seen Vegas sharing the gospel with a neighbor, and they reported him to authorities. And so during a meeting together, when all of those 15 people were meeting, uh, the, uh, the authorities came in and they dragged him and the other 15 from his house into a field, and they threatened to kill them if they did not return to Islam. But Vegas told them no. Luckily, his life was, was spared, uh, but he was then forced to, to live separately from his family, uh, separate and apart from his wife and children, 
Uh, he was only allowed to, to see them periodically. Uh, his life was completely changed uh, because of that statement, but yet, throughout all of that, he still says, I've never regretted my decision to follow Jesus. I'm following Him wholeheartedly. I think it's very easy to say that we don't fully comprehend how so many Christians live. There are so many people all throughout the world that do exactly what we do, that, that, that follow Christ, that are a part of the Church of Christ, but it's not as easy for them, and, and we don't fully understand that. And a lot of times we don't fully recognize that. There are many countries that live uh, and face either severe or extreme persecution. Uh, a list of some of those include North Korea, Iraq and Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, India, Vietnam, Egypt, China, Turkey, and so many more. So many more that, that face this persecution, that regularly, even, even today, face uh, or face the dangers of, of risking their lives just to meet together, to be able to study the Word of God. Now we understand that that the church has faced persecution since the beginning. Uh, the, the church has, has been a, a persecuted people for, for a while. And we're going to look at a few different verses of a few different people that, that of course, we're more familiar with that, uh, that have faced these problems. Uh, if you will turn to Acts chapter 7 with me. Acts chapter 7. And here we see uh, the story of, uh, of Stephen. And we see Stephen making a speech before the people. And, uh, and of course, we know the results of this. Uh, we're going to look at verse, beginning with verse 58. Actually, let's back up to verse uh, 56. Uh, Stephen is, is before them. And, uh, and he sees... Uh, the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he tells these people, beginning in verse 56, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cast him, oh, excuse me, uh, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's also look at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And here we see, uh, we see James uh, being killed. We also, as we look through this, uh, we also see the arrest of, of Peter. Uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. 
Uh, we also see, like I said, we see Peter here, and uh, Peter is actually who we'll focus on uh, in a few minutes. And then finally, uh, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Uh, we see, uh, here we see Paul uh, in Lystra. I'm beginning with verse 19. And it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derb. So here we see three different accounts of persecution, ones that we're very familiar with, of people from the beginning that have been a part of the church that have faced this persecution. A lot of times being a part of the church, uh, it, it guaranteed that if you were found out, uh, you would face a physical death quickly. But that did not stop the Christians of that time. And that does not stop many Christians today. We're going to focus uh, a lot of our time uh, in 1 Peter. And Peter, uh, of course, wrote this book. And he wrote this to, uh, to Asia Minor. Uh, that is the location of, of where this book was, uh, was directed to. Uh, today, that would basically be the country of Turkey. And Turkey is actually on the list of those that are facing severe persecution today also. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of different places that we read about um, like the Philippians and Colossians and all of those, uh, those actually, most of them are in this area of Asia Minor. So what, uh, what Peter is writing here is going out to, to these people. And who Peter is writing to at this point in time is the persecuted church. Peter is reaching out to those who are at this time facing persecution. If you will, go to 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. 1 Peter chapter 4. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, he addresses those who are suffering as Christians. He addresses those people that are uh, going through a lot of difficult things because of what they believe. In fact, the... uh, the uh, headline for this passage or the uh, it's identified as suffering as a christian 1st peter chapter 4 beginning with verse 12 says beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share christ's sufferings now you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
And if the righteousness is scarcely saved, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. I think a lot of times when when we think about the persecuted church, when we think about this idea of of, of those that might be facing persecution. I think a lot of times we, we tend to do one of two things. And we don't mean to do this intentionally. We don't mean to do this with a, uh, in a negative way. But I think this, this takes place sometimes. When we read things like this and we, and we look at uh, persecution in this world, a lot of times uh, we attempt to place our struggles into this suffering. We try to place uh, our sin and our struggles and make it into this suffering. And we, we identify it here, uh, like in passages in First Peter. And we try to almost rearrange it to where these struggles that, are, uh, that we are facing in our lives, this is that persecution. But in reality, this is not the same thing. Of course, we do face difficulties in our life, and that's not to be undermined in any way. But the persecution that we face is nothing in comparison to the persecution that they faced in the first century and that many still face today. And so a lot of times we attempt to place our own struggles into that suffering. Or, uh, sometimes we'll, we'll do this. Um, we, we tend to believe that, that today persecution has been overcome. Uh, we don't necessarily think that it's just completely gone, but because it doesn't take place here in the same degree, we think that it's improved. We think that the church is, is doing much better now because there is no persecution here. But if we do either of these things, we've, we've really misunderstood the church, we've really misunderstood what's taking place in this world. We live in a, a country that is uh, it's tolerant. Our country is tolerant. Uh, I think the best way to, to sum that up in a sentence or in a statement, if someone were to make it, would be, you know, it's fine, you do what you want, just keep me out of it. You do what you want, I'll do what I want, and we'll all just be okay uh, just being tolerant of the fact that we're all doing something different. And I think that's, that's kind of how it's ended up applying to the church in this country. Uh, we, we face a, a lack of percep- uh, reception. Uh, we, we face a lack of reception and not so much persecution. Uh, the government protects our rights to, to meet here. And though we can easily face difficult things, though we can easily uh, face people that are against what we are doing and might try to retaliate, we at least have our government to, to protect that for now. But there are other places where it's not the same. Uh, in North Korea... Uh, you are, uh, as soon as you are found out to be a, a member of a church, to be attending a, a church 
to be proclaimed as a, a Christian, you are sent to prison. You are sent to labor camps or you are killed. Uh, and these prisons or labor camps uh, are not, uh, they are not good places whatsoever. Uh, in Somalia, uh, Somalia is a, is a uh, radically Islamic place. Uh, and even suspicion of being a Christian uh, leads to a public beheading. Persecution is going to continue. It's going to take place. It's, it's taken place for 2,000 years, and unfortunately, it's, it's, it still exists. And if anything, it is actually becoming larger uh, and greater than it ever has been before. Uh, it is reported that per month, uh, an estimated 322 Christians are killed for their beliefs. Uh, most of these taking place in these uh, extreme, uh, these severe extreme locations of persecution. 322 per month. There are also several hundred uh, buildings or establishments that host churches that are destroyed per month. Uh, and several more hundred that face harm because they are a part of the church. So now that I tell you all of this information, now the question at this point is, how do we respond to something that is so far from home? How do we, how do we respond, how do we react to something that really in our day-to-day lives does not really affect us? I think there's, there's two things that, that we can do. Two things that we can do. The first one of those is do what we can to share in their suffering. Uh, do what we can to, uh, to empathize, to, to share in their feelings and the things that they are going through, to share in their suffering. A couple verses I want to look at. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 3 reads, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And remember those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. There are many more that are in the body. They are in the body of Christ. They are a part of the church. And because of that, we are to share as though we are in prison, as though we are mistreated like they are. We must do what we can to share in their suffering. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 24. It reads, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. They are a part of the body. So many throughout the world that are facing this. And we must suffer together. We must do what we can to share in their suffering. And of course, 
We, may not, we might not ever meet a majority of these people. We may never know their names. We might never know the locations of, of all of these churches of Christ all throughout the world. But we are a part of the same body. We are all children of God. The other thing that we can, of course, do is constantly pray for the persecuted church. Now, I want to share something that's uh, a little unusual. It is a, uh, something that I read uh, from an interview. There was a, a man from China that was, uh, was being talked to, and he was actually... Uh, he was kind of the overseer of, of a group of, of house churches, a bunch of churches that, that met in the area, and of course they met in secret. Uh, but he kind of made sure that everything was, was going the way it needed to and uh, presided over one of those and kind of was in charge of that. But he was asked, uh, how can we pray for, for these churches in China? How can we pray for, uh, for all, of these, all of these people and for these churches in China? And the man replied with, with this statement. He told the man, Stop praying for persecution in China to end, for it is because of persecution that the church has grown. And I know that's a, a very confusing statement to hear. Uh, this idea that, that we are, uh, you know, a request not to pray for the end of persecution. But what this man in China was able to, to see and was able to understand is that this persecution, though it may cause problems physically, though it may uh, even lead to a, a physical death, this is what is leading so many to a spiritual life. This persecution, this, uh, these things that they are facing allows them to devote so much more than just a couple hours a week toward their God. And so he, as he makes this request, we have to recognize that. Uh, we are to pray for the persecuted church, but there are different ways that we should pray for them. Uh, we should pray for, for their strength, pray for their faith and for their peace, that as they go through these things, they'll be able to uh, that their faith will be able to take them beyond the persecution that they face. Uh, we'll pray for successful outreach, that those that they, they reach out to, the, the risk that they take even of just sharing the gospel with someone else, that it will be successful. And that they will be able to show forgiveness to those that are persecuting them. That they'll be able to see those that are... Uh, that are persecuting others, and they'll be able to show forgiveness for that. I have a question I want you to, to kind of think about as we conclude here. How different would life be without the freedom that we have? How different would life be if, if, if we were in one of those places that faced persecution in the way that, that these people do. If it was a risk for us to meet together, if we had 
uh, if our government found out that we were meeting together, if they had the, the authority to come in and, and throw us in prison or into our lives as soon as they found out, how different would our lives be if we did not have these freedoms that we have here? A lot of times I think we allow this factor, we allow these freedoms to, to wipe our minds of persecution. But we cannot forget these, these Christians. We cannot forget these people that are a part of the church, that are far away from us, but are going through so much more. We can't forget these people. In these verses, uh, and in, in the uh, First Peter chapter 4, what we read, we're told to rejoice as you share in Christ's sufferings. I think that is a, uh, a, something that we don't share as much as these people do. These people share in Christ's sufferings. And I think that that, though it may be terrible physically, I think that is changing their lives spiritually. And I think that's something to, to recognize. So as we uh, conclude, I want to encourage you to, to pray, for, pray for these people. To pray for the churches of Christ all throughout the world. To pray for, for these people who are putting their lives in danger every time they decide to open up the Bible. Every time they decide to, to grow closer to Christ, they are at the same time putting themselves at risk of uh, being imprisoned, being thrown into a, a labor camp, or being taken out into the street and beheaded. It is a real thing. And though we don't see it every day, it takes place every day. So I encourage you to, to pray for these people and to share in their suffering. Maybe as we've discussed this this morning, uh, you've recognized that, that your faith needs strengthening. Uh, maybe the, the blessings that you see in your life have overshadowed the one who blesses. And you feel like you need to reprioritize your life. And you recognize that, that your faith needs strengthening. Or maybe uh, you are here and you realize that your faith needs a beginning. And that you need to be baptized and become part of the church. And even as you hear this and uh, as you listen to the persecution that's taking place, regardless of how much persecution you may face in your life, that you will continue to be a part of His church and be a child of God. And that you need to commit your life to Him. Whatever it might be, whether that be for prayers or encouragement, we invite you to come forward now as we stand.